Hi everybody, welcome to the second in the series of R&I Soundbite podcasts. I am Nicola Masrier, a partner in the Linklaters London Restructuring Insolvency team, and today we will focus on the relatively recently adopted English Law Part 26A restructuring plan process. Joining me today are my colleagues Dion Brown and Hannah Barrett-Brown. Hello everyone, I am Dion Brown and I'm a managing associate in the restructuring and insolvency team here in London. Hi everyone, I'm Hannah and I'm an associate in the R&I team here in London. Thanks very much. Um, the introduction of the restructuring plan technology into English law in June 2020 has had a dramatic impact on the English law restructuring toolkit expanding the options available to stakeholders in distressed situations. And today we will highlight certain key aspects and lessons learned so far. So to jump right in, Dion, what do you think are the key features of restructuring plans? Thanks, Nick. Um, so our thinking on this is that the restructuring plan regime certainly offers debtors and their stakeholders a wide range of structuring optionality that was not at their disposal before. But the three features that we think are perhaps the most significant are the cross-class cramdown tool, which essentially is the ability to impose a solution or a deal on a class of dissenting stakeholders, the ability under restructuring plan to dilute existing equity, and just the share flexibility and adaptability that the restructuring plan offers to a wide range of different situations. When we talk about the cross-class cramdown tool, the restructuring plan provides stakeholders with this potent um, and novel um, aspect which can be used both as a threat to gain leverage in negotiations towards a restructuring but can also be used to implement the deal in the face of a dissenting class of stakeholders. We saw the cross-class cramdown power first being used successfully in the Deep Ocean case to bind a group of unsecured creditors only 65% of which voted in support of the restructuring plan. We also received very helpful guidance from Justice Trower in Deep Ocean on the principles to be applied when seeking to rely on the cross-class cramdown tool. Again, we saw the power uh, being used in Smile Telecoms against the SFA lender creditor class and against descending landlords and other property creditor classes in Virgin Active. Um, the second key feature that, that we think uh, stakeholders might want to focus on is the ability to implement debt for equity swaps and other structuring tools which see the issuance of equity coming out of a restructuring. And that um, can be implemented using a restructuring plan and resulting in the complete dilution of the existing equity in the, in, in the group. Case in point, Pizza Express, and um, the Act allows the provisions, um, preemption rights and other allotment restrictions to be disapplied, thereby avoiding the need to implement an issuance of equity using a complete share security enforcement, for instance. And so you could effectively move the group into a new holding structure, as we sometimes need to do, and issue equity out of a new co, for example, um, all in a way that avoids all of the typical um, difficulties and uncertainties that would that would be involved um, prior to the, the introduction of the restructuring plan. And lastly, uh, Nick, we we see where the restructuring plan can be used to implement quite flexible and adaptable solutions 
in a different in different ranges of situations such as um, on like a scheme for instance it is capable of bringing about both a financial and operational restructuring as we saw in Virgin Active it can sit alongside both a security enforcement as well as a CVA as we saw in Pizza Express um, as is often required in these situations we can use it to facilitate the injection of super senior finance um, which is usually the first point of concern for a company um, having to address that liquidity crisis um, in the first uh, couple weeks or months of a restructuring. And then lastly, companies can use it to completely avoid a value destructive liquidation in circumstances where that is the only relevant alternative. And we saw that being used in Deep Ocean and again in Amicus Finance where the company was already in, in administration However, the restructuring plan was used by the administrators to improve um, or to, to attempt to improve returns for creditors and to avoid a liquidation. Thanks very much, Dion. So three pretty exciting and potentially far-reaching changes to the landscape. Hannah, how do you think these three key features and the other elements of restructuring plans have impacted on stakeholders in situations of distress? Sure. So um, what the outcome for stakeholders is, is going to depend on where in the capital structure that given stakeholder sits. What are advantages for the in the money senior secured creditors are often going to be disadvantages for the junior and out of the money creditors and vice versa. So first up for senior creditors, as Dion said, the senior secured creditors now have a new and incredibly powerful tool to impose senior led solutions, which will have the backing of the courts and which can be recognised outside the UK if necessary. The benefits of using a plan over, for example, contractual solutions such as relying on the distress disposal provisions in an intercredit agreement is primarily around certainty. Using a plan, uh, it avoids the need to work around often disputed contractual drafting in ICA or to develop costly and complex structures to satisfy any cash consideration requirements. It can also bind creditors who weren't party to the ICA in the first place. Uh, it can avoid the need for having to provide often expensive indemnities to the security agent. And there's no need to appoint administrators with the associated time, cost, planning and structuring that goes with that. But that's not to say that plans are a cheap solution in a complex situation, which could involve multiple classes and where there's a prospect of dissent and evidential challenges. So senior secured creditors still need to look at the alternatives and see if they might be simpler. Often it is just going to be a judgment call as to challenge risk versus timing versus cost um, versus simplicity. For example, while for a debt for equity swap, which is facilitated by a plan for an English company, it's unlikely to assist where the shares required to be issued are non-UK shares. For junior creditors, if they're out of the money, they have the converse risk, which is being crammed down even if they dissent, and they're going to need to put together fairly robust counter-arguments if they want to challenge plans in court, um, which I'm sure we can talk about more in a moment. And obviously that leads to a decrease in the holdout value that junior positions have. On the other hand, for the first time under English law, and unlike in schemes, it's now possible, at least in theory, for junior creditors to carry out a cram up. So in theory, this could enable junior creditors to force a deal on senior creditors. That could be a rollover of a super senior RCF or uh, perhaps even deaccelerating a senior facility. However, while that is technically possible under the legislation, it's not been tested so far and I think there's probably real challenges to using it in practice. Junior creditors would need to show that the senior creditors are no worse off under the plan and that in practice is usually going to mean that they're kept whole. 
they'd also need to show that they, the junior creditors, are in the money in the relative, relevant alternative, otherwise they just don't have the power to cram up, and that again is going to be difficult. There's also a limit to what cram up can do, they can't impose any new obligations, so while in theory this is possible, it might be of limited value in practice. Um, and finally, shareholders. We've seen that they can be treated a bit like junior creditors. For example, in Virgin Active, um, we saw how shareholders can still re retain an interest uh, even while the unsecured creditors were wiped out. In that case, it was very much for the in-the-money creditors to decide how to allocate the benefits. However, cases like Hurricane, again, I think we can talk about that more in a moment, really show the limits of, um, of this. Thanks very much, Hannah. Really interesting and great to hear about the different impacts and perspectives. Inevitably, in a non-consensual transaction, stakeholders will have different views on the benefits, or otherwise, of restructuring plans. So Dion and Hannah, imagining that your client is on the, so to speak, wrong side of an RP, how might they defend their position? Right. So the Virgin Active and Hurricane Energy cases gave us some insight into some of the likely grounds for challenging a restructuring plan, which um, a client in that position might be interested in. So where the debtor is trying to implement the plan using a cross-class cramdown, it has to show that this, the dissenting class upon whom a deal is being imposed would be no worse off under the terms of the restructuring plan than it would be in the relevant alternative. The relevant alternative is whatever the court considered would be the most likely to occur in relation to the debtor if the restructuring plan were not sanctioned. A challenge would therefore probably require a stakeholder to show that the dissenting class would be better off in the, in the relevant alternative than it would be under the terms of the plan. So basically just switching the test. From the perspective of the debtor proposing a plan, it is critical that the relevant alternative being, po being posited is airtight and that there is an urgency and a burning platform in the group's immediate future. If that is not the case, the, rel the relevant alternative argument will be weakened. And in hurricane energy, we saw where the plan was not sanctioned because the court held that the most likely situation for the company if the plan were not sanctioned was not immediate or near-term insolvency, as uh, the, the applicant argued, but rather that the company would continue to trade profitably for at least a year. So. From the perspective of as someone who would like to challenge a restructuring plan, if you can show that, as in Hurricane Energy, the shareholders would, um, would be worse off in the relevant alternative than they would be under the terms of the plan, then that is one reason to challenge and certainly um, is a ground that the court would consider when deciding whether or not the plan should go ahead and be sanctioned. Um, another area uh, that is very susceptible to challenge relates to valuations. The court will look to the party's evidence regarding the group's valuation when deciding ultimately which stakeholders are in the money and which ones are out of the money. Stakeholders who are of course out of the money have no economic interest and therefore no standing in the entire restructuring plan process. So a challenge could be based on what is reasonable and what is practical and a party can always adduce evidence of a, an alternative valuation um, showing that um, they are in the money despite what the applicant um, wants to show the court, provided that this is well supported 
and that the and evaluation evidence is compelling, that is another reason where uh, a stakeholder can show that the court should have consideration to whether or not um, such a creditor is actually in the money or not. And lastly, uh, and, and perhaps uh, a much more difficult ground on which to challenge a plan than the, than the two that we discussed earlier, is on the grounds of fairness. So based on the Virgin Active restructuring plan, we can see sometimes where discrimination between out-of-the-money stakeholders may be a reason to refuse sanction. Um, so for instance, if the discrimination is arbitrary or capricious, that is something that the court might consider. However, practically speaking, it would be very difficult for, for, for a dissenting creditor to show that uh, uh, the plan wasn't fair and it certainly remains to be seen what would meet this criteria. So, so one's, one's to watch, Nick, but certainly those three are grounds that, that we think um, might have some feet. And of course, like most things, I think what it costs to challenge it is gonna be one of the big considerations and the kinds of challenges that Dion talked about, so evaluation, providing evidence of unfairness, these are not cheap and easy things to challenge. Um, so it's something that I think anybody looking to challenger plan is going to have to consider really carefully. Um, we saw in Virgin Active that there's no general principle that creditors should expect to be paid their costs regardless of the outcome and the court has discretion and will be fairly open-ended um, on deciding how to allocate costs. We do have a little bit of guidance though and so the relevant principles for determining the appropriate costs order are broadly speaking that while parties shouldn't be deterred from raising any genuine issues relating to a scheme or a plan in a timely and appropriate manner um, based on concerns over their exposure to adverse costs and that generally ordering the company to pay the reasonable costs of parties who might appear just to enable the matters of concern to be properly ventilated before the court. The court doesn't want to encourage parties to object to every single thing they can think of um, on the basis of the belief that their costs will be met by somebody else. So balancing act for anybody who wants to um, make a challenge bearing in mind that these are technical and quite difficult challenges to make. Thanks very much Dion and Hannah. That was a really interesting and insightful discussion. It perfectly illustrates the fact that RPs represent a significant change to the restructuring landscape in the UK, probably the biggest change since the 2002 Enterprise Act. Our experience so far has been generally positive, though this does rather depend on, um, on where you are in the capital structure, with developments continuing at great pace definitely an area to watch as participants, including the English courts, continue to refine their approach to RPs and the guidelines within which they operate. That concludes the second RNI Soundbites podcast, and please do keep an ear out for number three. And thanks very much to Dion and Hannah for sharing their thoughts with us today. Thanks. Thanks, Nick.